0: My guest today is Adam Amin. You know him as the voice of the Chicago Bulls, the MLB on Fox, and the NFL on Fox. He's the voice of pretty much everything except the actual voice, which seems like an oversight. He is a fiercely proud Chicagoan. He has a dog in his avatar. Um, those are what I, the things I know about him. We're going to see what we learn by the end of the podcast, uh, as, as a learning exercise, so we can compare and contrast uh, a little homework for you because everybody enjoys, uh, doing work where they listen to podcasts. Adam, I want to start by referencing comments you made on Twitter earlier this week in which you said that you could come to a peaceful understanding and live with it if people, um, Attacked your performance as an announcer uh, and didn't attack you for who you were as a person, oftentimes um, either with racial undertones or straight up overt racism. What has that process been like for you coming to what I have to imagine is a rather reasonable, peaceful place, although still dealing with a lot of stuff that you should never have to deal with in the first place?
1: You're going to get angry fans. Like anytime somebody's team is losing, and they feel compelled to like tweet something out you're a very easy target and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that that is the cost of doing business in my estimation like i'm on twitter i'm a public person and i'm the easiest and most accessible online punching bag for any upset fan and that goes back to my days at espn in particular doing college football but college sports in general where everybody's very provincial and in the NFL, where fans are very passionate, and and again, it's very provincial as well. People are very territorial, and that's totally fine. If you want to say, "Hey, I, you guys suck," you guys are, you know, to use some colorful language, uh, riding Tom Brady's dick, uh, that is fine. If you want to re- refer to that, that's fine. If I get somebody who says, again, colorful language, fuck you. I've gone back and forth with them and said like, Hey man, if you want to yell at me, that's cool. But I know you're not mad at me. And I had a guy do that on Sunday. And eventually at the end of the conversation, he's like, Hey man, you're cool with me. You've gained a new fan. And I love that. I love winning people over by just being like understanding of where they're coming from because it satisfies me as a, as what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be an understanding reasoned, at peace individual i'm trying very hard and it doesn't always work but i think i'm doing better than worse uh, as i get older with that what is hard for me still which i thought it wasn't i thought it wasn't and i would say out of you know every seven times it happens six of those times i'm not really thinking about it if i get something personal in particular racial, I don't care if you say something personal, like, cause it's not personal, but if you do say something personal, and I feel that it's personal, that sucks. And I, I swallow that more often than not. And I have swallowed that more often than not, but one out of every seven, one out of every eight times that happens when you, I have to let something off my chest. Cause if I don't, Especially for a lot of us who live online, you know, and a we're a lot of us have are very online and have been, and it's not only our personal avatars, but it's our professional ones as well. When you spend that much time cultivating, you know, a not a brand, I, I hate using that, but like you know, it's and it's it's an extension of the of an extreme part of our personality. So when you spend that much time online, it's going to have a little bit of significance when somebody attacks that as well, or attacks you through that. So when I get a DM that says, you know, something, blah, 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 Osama bin Laden, like if I get one of those, if I get blah, 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 terrorist, if I get blah, 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 you know, other things that, you know, you've, you've seen that I've, I've had, which by the way is a fraction of what a lot of my friends deal with. Like I would be petrified to go through Maria Taylor's direct messages for various reasons. I would be horrified to go through that because I, I don't get, I don't get it at the level that she gets it. And she's been out there way more and she's front facing and she has spoken about real issues. So of course her DMS are going to be way worse. So I don't deal with a fraction of what friends of mine deal with, but I see it and it hurts. And at some point, once in a while, I have to say something so that it doesn't grow inside of me and just eat me up. Because I still, as hard as I'm trying to not take these things personally, once in a while, it's going to happen. It's this, the chemical balance of that day. It's going to be the, the mood that you're in that day. It is Everybody deals with that on a day-to-day basis. Nobody is completely consistent personality-wise or attitude-wise or uh demeanor wise every single day and if you get me on that one day where something's bothering me or something else bothered me or there was a sequence of events that led me to feeling really shitty about something you said i'm going to feel it more than i would on an on another day on any other day and that i woke up monday to something like that and i've shared them in the past and now part of me wishes i would have screenshotted it and tweeted it out again and i i've done that already i've done that before i just did not feel like doing that anymore i don't feel like shedding light on that as much in terms of giving people what they want like maybe that individual all they want is to be outed and feel good cuz hey this this dumbass announcer blocked me and that's a win for me or this guy's bitching about me and that means i'm famous for 5 seconds or whatever like i don't want to do that anymore either and this particular day this is how i felt and i was on the flight back home from vegas and that's how I felt that day. And that's why I tweeted what I tweeted.
0: Has it gotten, has it gotten better through your career or has it gotten worse? Has it gotten the same? Have you seen any type of progress, uh, large scale in that department from, from fans? Or has the discourse, which I'm assuming you're probably getting mostly online, because I would, I would make an assumption here that there's not a lot of probably people coming up to you, with no. that hateful stuff um or has the like the embrace of anonymity and, and maybe if you want to paint it as kind of like an embrace of it's fine to be that mean and not feel any shame about having those opinions out there has it gotten worse as as the years have gone by and you've gotten more high profile assignments
1: i don't think it's gotten any worse or any better and I, I'm sure you could, you could pinpoint it to say, well, it's probably worse today in 2020 in general. Uh, I could certainly make a case for that, and I'm sure a lot of us could. So I guess maybe it's gotten worse collectively. For me individually, I mean, it, never, it didn't really happen until maybe 2014 because nobody knew who I was and nor should they have. And frankly, nobody should really know who I am now anyway either, and that's fine with me if they don't. So I don't think it's gotten any worse or any better. I think as more people use Twitter, Probably some people feel emboldened uh, as attitudes shift and change in the country. I'm sure more people feel emboldened to say things that are at the top of their mind as we become a little bit more of a knee-jerk reactionary uh, collective. I'm sure it's gotten a little bit worse in that sense. I can't tell you personally whether I've had it more now or more then. I think it's just happened. It just it's been there. It's been a constant. I don't think it's something that I don't want to overblow it and say this is happening to me every day. But it is happening every day. It's not happening to me every day, but it's definitely happening every day. And like I said, I would hate to go deep diving into, you know, the direct messages of some other more front facing people, and I would fear to think what's in their inboxes in comparison to it. Now, I used to write this off three years ago. I was doing the Texas Bowl, and uh, I had a Texas fan, uh, you know, like call me a raghead, which. I didn't even know it, like was an epithet that was still used, but apparently here we are, at that point. And I, I had a friend of uh, a colleague of mine like tweet it. like he saw it, and tweeted it out, and that's how I saw it. I didn't even see it during the game, so I was I was calling the game, and uh, I saw it afterwards, and I was like, I think I re like quote tweeted it, and I was like, well, it's, you know, it's casual racism, just part of the territory, and that's why i tweeted the night of the night after the you know after the game and i was on the flight back home and i tweeted i retweeted the thread and quote tweeted it and i was like i lied to you i this bothered me this really legitimately bothered me and i am i don't like that this person feels this way about me when they don't know who i am when they don't know me and they made a very broad not only a broad generalization about me, they made an assumption about an entire group of people based on one thing. And it really did bother me. And I still felt that there was more positive than negative because I see what the reaction is to that. And it's gross. Like, I mean, like the reaction like is, is people are are, are genuinely grossed out by the thought and the concept that people feel like this. And again, I know a lot of those people are my friends. So it's, of course they're going to defend me or defend anybody else who they're close to, or that they feel, you know, connected with, of course they're going to defend them because they're, they're good people. And I'm still leaning on that concept. I'm rambling a little bit, Kyle. So my apologies if this is uh if this is what, uh, not what you were looking for, but I'm, this is just kind of where my head's at on this stuff. Well,
0: It's um, better when the most interesting person on the podcast or interview says the most, uh, and, and my role is, uh, <laughs> uh, being kind of a club trillion type when coming in, in the last yeah. and, uh, you know, just showing up in the stat sheet. So, so please speak at length.
1: Gotcha. Now hop in with the heat check. It's all good. Um, yeah, I, I just, of course, like, you know, friends are going to defend that, but I do think more people, more people are appalled by that than not. I don't know what the goal is sometimes for, you know, the people that, that lash out like that. I don't know what it is. And, do I care to know probably not it's probably not a a territory that I want to dive into the psyche of the angry human like it's it's not a it's not a fun place to do the deep dives in so I think yeah I'm I'm okay with sometimes just not knowing anything but I do appreciate that more people are appalled by it, it seems like more people are appalled by that than not and I don't know what type of referendum this is supposed to be on our society as a whole or our usage of the internet or whatever it may be as most things you know twitter and instagram and all these things as most are user sensitive you know you're going to get out of it whatever you put into it and if you use it as a tool to yell at people then yeah you can use it as a tool to yell at people if you want to use it as a tool to lie to people you can use it as a tool to lie to people if you want to use it as a tool to you know for branding you can use it for that if you want to be funny you can be that if Whatever you want to use it for, you can. And while that's a good thing, there's also, also the thing that comes with that is, is uh, you know, people feeling emboldened to say stuff that they would never say. To your point, none of these people are rolling up on me in public, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, fuck you, terrorist, and walking away. And I know they would never do that because they don't know what the consequences would be. Now, I don't think the consequences would be that much. I'm not exactly an intimidating or, uh, or uh, a scary human, I don't think. Uh, I certainly don't look the part. And so what are you uh, going to do, a
0: challenge into a crossword puzzle?
1: Yeah, like what do you want to do? Like what, what are we going to do at that moment? You know, like is, it, is there going to be some kind of New York Times battle here? Like, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to get 42 down first. Like, I, no, that's not going to happen we're not going to, nobody's going to catch these hands. Like I'm not, I'm not, I've never been in a real fight since I was 12. I'm not a fighting person. I'm not an angry person for the most part. So I don't think I can see my, see a scenario where I, you know, sack up and go after somebody. I just, I'm not that guy. So I don't know what the, what, what the, what's supposed to satisfy somebody who, feels this way or decides that this is what they want to do to spend you know this is how they want to spend their time uh i, I i'm not sure and that's probably the thing that sucks the most i'm a pretty smart guy i think uh or at least you know I, I don't think i'm a huge dumbass at the at the very least so i like knowledge and i like knowing why people do things and i i like understanding where people are coming from and i like being able to sympathize and empathize with them and if i can't do that that's frustrating but I don't know if I necessarily understand where people are coming from with a lot of what they feel emboldened to say. Now I also feel kind of silly because now I'm just, I'm just, you know, woe is me. I, I get to be on TV and call games and that's my job. And part of it is that people say mean things, God forbid. I'm sure that's the attitude of some people. That's fine. I I don't expect them to sit, to, empathize with this position unless they've been in it but i feel like a lot of people have been in it just not in the specific context that i'm in like just because i'm I, i'm getting you know i get stuff like this or more importantly friends of mine or colleagues of mine get this at a at a much worse rate it, it, it's it's i'm okay with people not understanding that why this bothers us i'm just kind of confused as to why they can't understand it because everybody's probably been through some form or fashion of this at some point in their lifetime. Mm. And I can't imagine it feels good for anybody. So I've never, you know, as somebody who's trying to learn how to be as empathetic as possible and to try to be an understanding human, to be a contributing member of this interwoven society where we all kind of owe each other a little bit so that none of us feel like we just want to throw ourselves off the roof every day uh, while we're dealing with everything. Like I want to be as empathetic as possible. I want to, I want to brush aside stupid stuff and say, Hey man, if something's bothering you, like talk to somebody about it. Like you don't have to do this. Like this doesn't have to be your outlook, but I don't think everybody really thinks of everything like that on that prism. And that's, I can't. I don't know if I can expect that from everybody either.
0: Well, and then you add in the layer of people's relationship with you, which is through the prism of sports, which we know that they don't really see these athletes as people, right? And I think even as some of you, you know, I think I've been fairly empathetic my my entire life, but I think as a, as a young kid, I didn't really grasp that these were people playing the game, that they went home, that they had families, that they had feelings like. If they went 0 for 4, well, you want to know what? what, There's a chance they went 0 for 4 because they're dealing with some stuff uh, in their own head or their family or a family member is sick and all that stuff. All these things we don't don't think of because people are handsomely compensated, but they just kind of see them as these two-dimensional things. So I wonder if it's because you're coming uh, in through that avenue, if that's why they treat them that way, or if that's just reflective of kind of how we view everybody we don't we're not closely connected to because we know that people care about individuals. They just don't care about individuals in the abstract.
1: I'm thinking of uh, an episode of the newsroom uh, where the news network is is, doing this. um, What's that? Remember that Gawker Stalker app? They're doing an episode like that was kind of like, you know, like, like a spin, like a takeoff of the Gawker Stalker app. And they're interviewing the guy who's in charge of it. And Olivia Munn's character is uh, interviewing that person. And saying something like, the, the guy says like, uh, you know, aren't they protected? He's talking about celebrities that they're stalking. He's like, aren't they protected by the piles of money that they make or whatever? And Sloan Sabbath is Olivia Munn's character. She says, well, you make, you're paid $55,000 a year. Uh, He goes, well, that's private. Oh, okay. Well, what's the line of demarcation you make X amount per year. And now you get to be treated by us as like a media consortium, like as regular people who's basically had like an electronic bracelet slapped on them. What does X equal? Uh, So she's like, Oh, you make 55 grand a year. That's almost twice the national average for a family of four. I don't know if that's true right now, but you know, for the time I'm assuming it was, do your piles of cash protect you from this interview in which I'm intentionally stripping you of your dignity? And I, I'm just thinking like, what's the line of demarcation? And what is what is the, the method of measurement for that line? Is it money? Is it clout? Is it, oh, well, you have a million Twitter followers or you have, you know, you're the boss of a company. Does that protect you or, or whatever it is? I don't even know. So it's hard when you don't know what, You know, like I, am happy to play on a level playing field, but if you keep moving goalposts, which I know is a problem for a lot of aspects of our day-to-day discourse, if you keep moving the, the goalposts, I don't know what you want from me. So I understand like in a, in a, in a developing technological society, more and more people want more and more things tailored to them. They want things tailored to them individually. You can have your exact number of groceries, or exact uh, order of groceries, or your exact food order, or uh, you know any type of customization on your car, or your home, or whatever you want. You can get everything pretty much on this planet tailored individually to you. It's hard for us to tailor every single thing that comes out of our mouths to be all things to all people, and that will never be the case. We will never be able to tailor every single thing we say to every single person that's listening to us. That'll never happen ever in the history of this planet. That will never happen. That's death taxes. And you will never satisfy everybody with one sentence. You can't. And I think not having that understanding from most people is it's, it's frustrating. Cause I wish I could, I wish I could individualize everything for you. I can't, we serve weird to say millions of people in what we do and not a great, we're not doing a great service to them, but we serve them. This is what we do. Hey, my job is to relay to you information that you find necessary or entertaining. So that's my job. And I don't know how to do that other than how I do it and hope that it works for everybody as much as possible. And if it doesn't, I think you, you just got to let it go. And I think you were saying earlier, like how, is, how has it shifted and changed over time? I, how, have, how have you found peace with it? I'm starting to find peace with the concept that I'm not going to be able to do something. I think a lot of us are starting to figure out, we just can't, the, the reason people become more individualistic as they get older is because they find out that they can't be all things to all people. It's really hard to not want to become a selfish asshole as you get older i understand why people become more individualized and not just for them but like for their circle because they realize as time get goes on you can't be all things to all people and i hate that concept but i understand it i hate not being universally appreciated or whatever you know like and i don't mean in the job i just mean like i i wish i could walk this planet and everybody's okay with me and that's never going to be the case and I think the more familiarized you become with that concept, the easier it is to to deal with what it is, what it's like on a day to day basis.
0: Thank you for bringing up Aaron Sorkin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's the the weightiest concept uh, you you brought up uh, in that monologue. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, very. It was it wasn't a very Sorkin esque monologue with its terrible. Uh, Terrible language and awful structure for me personally, but I, I did my best trying to relay what that meant to me.
0: <laughs> well, it was, it was someone who's passionate about their work, uh, a, a, certain, <laughs> a certain principle, a staple, a three if you will. Um, I bring this up because I recently texted a friend and said, you know, it would be a great idea, a fun project for us to do. He's in media. He's funnier than I am. Who, um, so, you know, he would really be the star here. Would be to go and do a sports night rewatch and talk about that, <laughs> and how the show inspired us both to go into the field or adjacent to the field or whatever you want to call it, yep. and how it was a real formative impact on us. And he texts back, "Oh, you mean like Adam Amin's old show?" <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately <laughs> abandoned all my best laid plans and dreams <laughs> and. Episode by episode and having that feeling of when you rewatch Sports Night of this, this realism and how challenging the real world could be, but it ends on a hopeful note and you go home and you feel like a superhero just for doing your job. Yeah. So my question to you. What do you think is the strength of that show? And what do you think is the biggest weakness? in your mind and how does it relate to the actual field that you are in right now?
1: I think the biggest strength of that show was the same strength that most Aaron Sorkin shows have is that at the end of the day, you're just trying to do something that you're passionate about and you're trying to do it with as much integrity as possible. And it's a great – that was a great lesson, I think, in general, where, you know, the, the level of optimism and idealism that Sorkin seemed to push in his first couple of shows, Sports Night and West Wing in particular, work play, obviously workplace shows is something that he's very focused on because he likes to talk about people's work uh, and how obsessed they are with it and how it dominates their lives, how it shapes their lives, and obviously I could relate to that. Uh, I think wanting to be a passionate worker, but then still realizing that people want to do it with, with some level of integrity and honor. That's important. Again, I'm not doing anything journalistically. I don't think, I don't feel like I'm an honest to bones journalist in the sense that, you know, Nicole Auerbach is, or, you know, the, the, you know, TJ Quinn or any any of the people who do like, investigative reporting like I'm not that I don't claim to be a journalist in the same sense that they do Um, or a reporter for that matter who is trying to get stories I'm not the same same as that but I do want to do my job with some some level of integrity I do have to think about that when we discuss things like Antonio Brown like how do you balance that You know, like that was a quick conversation. It wasn't, we didn't dedicate much of our time to that on Sunday, but you got to mention it's the biggest story for Tampa Bay going into that weekend. They're going to sign this guy who's got a myriad of legal issues still, some of them still ongoing and uh, has, has had a major impact on teams that he's been on, whether it's positive or negative. You have to have that discussion. So that's about as deep as I get into it but I still want to do that with some level of integrity. I still want to do that with some level of understanding of both sides of the issue, Uh, why people think it's okay, why people think it's not okay. And whether we deep dive into that on the broadcast or not, I need to be prepared for that. So just having some understanding of like the integrity of how you have to approach these situations and trying, again, that's as best as we can do to try to be all things to all people is to try to see things from both angles of it. Which is not the most fun thing to do these days, especially the term "both sidesing" is not uh, not necessarily a, a phrase that has positive connotations to it these days, understandably.
0: Well, well to be fair, you usually get about twenty or twenty five seconds to fully contextualize every
1: exactly. single exactly. Yeah, and that's about that's about how much that's about how much time we took as well. That's, that's a uh, work, that's
0: a very workable time frame. The same amount that uh, they allow the Clippers to get a shot up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. We have a shot clock essentially on that. So, um, you know, but, but like uh, to go back to your original question, just like uh, having the level of, of understanding, the level of integrity, the, the level of honor that all these people went into the workplace with, I think the biggest weakness of the show was that sometimes it's too idealistic and sometimes it puts people into situations that are really much harder to maneuver through and navigate through, then a a 22-minute TV show can inform of you, as as you just made a great point with that. Like, a 22-minute show is not going to flesh out all the world's problems as much as we want it to. And the reason that we like 22-minute shows, or, you know, I'm watching Ted Lasso right now, you know, these 30-minute shows, is because there's an idealism to it that we appreciate, even if it's unrealistic. And of course, when you first start, you 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 let this shape you and think this is exactly how I want to do it. I wanna, I wanna act with the the level of integrity and honor that these people operate within. And then you realize, holy shit, it is so much more complicated. It is so much harder to do that. Not everybody can walk away from the position that they're in. I can't blame people. I can't. I can't be upset at people who decide, hey, I need to do this job and I may have to sacrifice not my morals or my integrity or my honor, but I may have to make some concessions to be able to feel like I'm doing this job properly or just to be able to keep doing the job. And again, as you get a little bit older and you see the business for what it is and you see maybe the world for what it is right now in its current state, it's hard to continue to feel like you can still do things as idealistically as you you once wanted to. And that's a tough realization to come to. And I'm not saying that's the end all be all. I hope there are people that are a lot more, uh, maybe have a lot more integrity and more honor and are, are, are more dedicated to doing this 100% the right way and they're willing to walk away. And that's great. But I can't put that expectation on everybody. I can't. I can't. put Like that'd be unfair for me to put that, expect, that same expectation that I had when I was 22 on people now when I'm 33. it would be unfair.
0: Yeah, but I think it's more reasonable to solve uh, big issues in 22 minutes than to, than to think that you've solved them in a 280-character tweet, uh, yeah. which is kind of the way things have, things have gone. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, at least there's more space for nuance. You know, that, Yeah, and that's, absolutely. A uh, couple
0: commercial breaks, like some unnecessary establishing shots, <laughs> all that stuff. What do you think Dan and Casey's careers look like um, in 2020? What jobs are they doing?
1: I think that they're the fun – they're two of the – I, I, honestly, they're, more, they're less Dan and Keith and more Jay and Dan, I think. I think they're more I, – I, I don't know if – are, are you thinking the same thing or you got something completely different? What are you
0: thinking? Oh, that kind of blew my mind. That's an astute observation um, because <laughs> – I feel like they're the
1: funniest – I think they're the funniest guys on Twitter. I think they're, you know, the smart, funny guys on Twitter. I I think we see the evolution of uh Dan Rydell uh going from like a centrist, like uh a centrist Republican or a left-leaning Republican turning into like a bleeding heart liberal, uh, you know, maybe won over by Dana uh <laughs> into that or Natalie or somebody. You know, there's some scene where Joshua Molina's character comes in and Jeremy says. You know how can you think this way? Do you, don't you know what happened to this group or that group or whatever? And I feel like you see the natural evolution of the show and it's turning. I mean, if it's an Aaron Sorkin show, naturally it's going to be you know have some uh left wing ide- idealism to it, which uh, I can certainly appreciate and relate to. But I uh, I think that's where it goes. I, I think it's I think their careers are a little bit different. I think they're they're more Jay and Dan, and I think they're a little. You know, if Casey is beleaguered and, you know, know, uh, uh, frustrated at the current state of sports broadcasting and the current state of journalism and all of that, if in 1998, I can only imagine what he would be like, you know, in 2020. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're Jay and Dan and they're super funny and they don't bother anybody much like Will McAvoy and everybody loves these guys and Casey is having a super hard time with how things are being done in 2020 and maybe it's the exact same show as it was 22 years ago in just a different context
0: see i think casey has morphed into a kind of conglomeration between keith olberman um uh, uh brian williams okay and uh and, and dan patrick um, okay i can see that I think that what he has done is he's gone into news, um, and he kind of has a commentary show that is somewhere between Oberman and John Oliver. I think he's commenting on the news after being a serious newsman in the in the in the Brian Williams ilk. Okay. Um, and then for Dan, I think that Dan is the more interesting story about what he does. I could see him revolutionizing a new level of stunt journalism. I kind of see him launching, perhaps, ideally, um, something that has the, the bone work of like a Vice News, Vice Sports type thing, yeah. where he's trying to do part jar- journalism, part activism. Um, I don't think he has any interest in being on camera in the studio anymore. I think he really wants to get his hands dirty uh, and, and, and live the life experience.
1: Man, that'd be that's fascinating to me. Where what is uh, where's Dana in this? Is she producing the 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 uh, Olbermann Oliver like show?
0: I think that you can make the case that that Dana is producing a show that's very much like Sports Night. Sure. Um, and it's not where she wanted to go after all these years. I think she, I think she retires from that job, or she meets someone and sure reads and well he plays golf and, and kind of lives a life that uh allows her to lean into her uh neurotic nature uh away from work. So like it wouldn't lot of lamps be- just lamp, lamp on the, the lamp I started being on the beach but being stressed about being on the beach for some yeah.
1: time. <laughs> which by the way, I I've got this like weird fantasy in my head when I get to like age sixty I just move to like, you know, Madrid and and just call it a career. And I can still see myself like doing that where I would like, I live on, I live on, uh, in a, I live a wonderful life in, in the Spanish countryside, except I'm stressed out about living a wonderful life in the Spanish countryside.
0: Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. Uh, you, you got what you wanted uh, out of life and you wanted to live a simple life. Although I was thinking that not for you because you seem to be working harder than, than everybody. And uh, from the beginning of this thing, it seems like you jumped into it, but we've all kind of got a window into living a quote unquote simple life, uh, that, you know, I, I'm a married guy and I always, you know, I mentioned it casually to my wife from time to time, or she'll mention it, It's like, what if we lived a simple life, uh, up, uh, <laughs> up in, uh, Northern Michigan by the water and just kind of, you know, like got groceries twice a week and, and, and hung out and just didn't, you know, had one TV that we, we watched for like two hours every night, but that was it. Um. But I kind of think that in a way, like we've been seeing a window of what that simple life would look like without the benefit of being able to to go outside and enjoy the, the, the things that we really wanted to focus on in the first place.
1: I wonder too, because there is, I think with as much as uh, there's so much happening right now, there's so much that's just happening. It's, and I, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but I feel like they're so, they're, they're, we've never been exposed to more ever, right? Like I know more about more things now than I ever have in my entire life because we're just exposed to more things. I'd like to believe that that's how it's supposed to work. The more you're exposed to things, the more you learn, the bigger worldview you have, et cetera, et cetera. I know that's not the case for everybody. And as somebody accurately, I think this is accurate. Somebody pointed out the other day, 15% of the country uses Twitter, maybe 15 to 20% at that, at most, that's really not that much. you know. So now obviously, I don't know the specific demographics of that and age range and all that. But, you know, it's only it's only a fraction of the country, but I still feel like I'm exposed to more of the world than I ever have been. And when you're exposed to more, not only do you feel like at least I feel like I have a responsibility to know about these things, but there, there needs to be some level of active participation in them because otherwise what are we doing? You know, and I love the concept and the thought of the simple life down the line, but will it truly be something that you can enjoy and be satisfied with if you didn't put in the requisite time or effort or a contribution to whatever the non-simple life is for the first X amount of years? Like if you don't do that, have you earned your, your, right to have the simple life have you earned the right to shield yourself from a lot of the things that you know we 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 only have to view from a a surface prism like are we like is that okay and i don't know if us as humans especially those of us who like sports because i think if you like sports you like competition it's inherent in you if you enjoy watching athletics if you enjoy watching games and competition and the, the fight to become the best at one particular thing I imagine that there's something inherent in you as a human that wants that as well in yourself. Maybe, you know, you can't hit a 400 foot home runner or throw a 60 foot touchdown or a 60 yard touchdown, but maybe you feel like I need to make some level of contribution so that I feel like I've satisfied my, my role here. And then I can earn that time to relax and be away from it. Uh, when there's so much happening around you, you, you feel guilty sometimes not participating in it. So I wonder I wonder about that too. The simple life—like, would I even be happy? Would you be? You, would you even be happy? Would your wife even be happy in that sense? Maybe for a little while, but then do you feel like you're not contributing to to this day-to-day life when so much is happening, and you feel like you could?
0: Well, first of all, I can both hit a four hundred foot home run and throw. A down. <laughs> so, you know, Garfield, I definitely would-
1: can. I, I can say with full confidence that I can. And I, if you say it, I trust that you can. And you're, and you're, I, I trust your physical prowess more than mine.
0: Yeah and, and you know video games are real life so um i was uh i was thinking about how um you seem to be a very big fan of food and talking about food um i i i was curious if you were on a cooking show like chopped would you want to be the contestant um the host or or the judge which would you be best at and, and which would you think would be the most fun
1: I don't think I'd be a good contestant. I'm not a good cook. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I'm not a good cook. Cause I'm good at following directions. So if you gave me a recipe, I could follow it to a T and make a really good meal. I'm for whatever reason, the process of it, I haven't latched onto just yet. And I get the sense that I will at some point where the process of cooking will be much more joyous to me rather than the eating part of it. So I look forward to that uh, whenever that happens. But I think I'd be, the, I'd be a good host for it because I like knowing what goes into these things. I like understanding process. Even if, I don't, if, if I'm not great or don't love executing the process, I think I like learning about it. And as a host, I think I would do a good job of seeing what the judges are looking for and what the contestant is trying to do and what the goal is. I think I'd be, I think I'd be good at that.
0: Um, An industry question. When you decided to go to Fox, um, I heard you on another podcast talk about some of the reasoning being how you felt um, like family there. And I think that that makes sense from the outside, seeing the size, uh, the relative size compared to ESPN. Yeah, But I was thinking about it. Would I be wrong in my assumption to say that it seems like there's more opportunity there considering that you do baseball uh that you uh, i mean obviously the nfl um rights have made it so fox has you know um, like 10 times the amount of game options so if i'm looking at it from the outside and it seems like this is a really good place to explore opportunities and maybe like the top 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 echelons in there would i be wrong in making that assumption and, and and did that factor at all into your into your decision-making
1: you, you wouldn't be wrong. And of course it factored in. And, and the reason I don't like hype that up is like the big reason is because I figured that was just inherent. I figured that was just obvious. Um, I like when people ask me that question, I assume that the first part of the answer is always because it's the NFL. <laughs> like it's hard to say no to that in general. And of course that was the, if I'm looking at it from strictly a professional angle of course that's the biggest reason to be able to do the it's a small small group of people that get to do this every week and it is a very exclusive thing to be a part of to be a television broadcaster for the national football league it's it's the sport that we care about the most seemingly just based on ratings and things like that it's a sport that we care about the most it's a sport that seems to bring in the most unity per city You know, like in Chicago, people might like the Sox. They might like the Cubs. They might hate the Bulls or love the Bulls. But when the Bears game's on, people are watching it. And that's impossible to deny. So, of course, absolutely 100%. That was one of the, if not the main reason to go over there. But I just, the reason I didn't talk about it is because I just figured that was obvious. You know, it's, it's a log jam at ESPN, and that's, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to breed that it's supposed to, you know, you, you're supposed to want to do bigger and, and, and better things. And it's a great place to learn. And it's a great place to cut your teeth. And if you are one of the top people doing one of their top properties, it is a fantastic place to be. Why wouldn't you want to cover the NBA at ESPN? Why wouldn't you want to potentially be the Monday night voice? You know, I'd like, you don't think Steve Levy's loving life right now. He absolutely deserves, you know, deserves to enjoy that. Cause that's a position that all of us would want to
0: have. I don't think anybody has any doubts of how much Steve Levy's loving life right Steve, now. Steve Levy, Steve Levy was loving life.
1: Steve Levy's been loving life for 30 years, man. That guy's, that guy's, as Joe, as, I've never seen that guy not smiling. Uh, anytime I've been around Steve, he's always smiling, and I can understand why. He's got a great gig, great life. Everybody loves the guy, and, you know, like he's a great dude to be around. So, and I've uh, of course, spent, that'd be fun.
0: And I've never spent a, a minute worried that he, was, that he was down. Although I did see a video of uh, Dick Vitale looking as depressed as I've ever seen him oh. sitting in a chair uh, in the afternoon talking about uh, pulling Blake Snell. And it was, it was yeah. just so I didn't, I didn't know he could dip into that bag. You know, it was, that's, that's,
1: that's, that's a tough, that's like seeing Santa without the, without the beard on or If you see Santa Claus smoking a cigarette outside the mall, that's going to, that's going to throw a lot of uh, uh, wrenches into your, into your plans about what you're thinking. So yeah, I understand that feeling.
0: Yeah. Messing the Kulikulkin up. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs>
1: but uh but yeah like um yeah of course like when you're at ESPN it's not that like they're not trying to make you competitive with one another like I'm not competitive by nature with other play-by-play announcers I'm competitive in the sense of I want to do the best game we all want to do the best game I hate every other play-by-play announcer in that sense right like we all like we're all competing with each other we're all but at the end of the day like none of that's real like I I loved everybody I worked with. I loved the people I didn't work with. I loved all the other play-by-play announcers. I was very close with the other announcers, which is something that I, was, I took a lot of pride in. Like, a lot of my – if I text Dave Pash, he's going to text back. If I have a Cardinal game, you know, which we were scheduled to have last week before he we got flexed out, Dave was the first person who texted me. You know, like, that's the type of relationship I fostered with the other announcers with people that I was quote unquote in direct competition with, because I think we were, we all understood, like, we're all trying, we're all trying really hard. And the fact is ESPN has such a, such an incredible inventory that all of us at one point or another got a swing. We all got to take a swing and it was awesome when we did, I got to do the women's final four. Dave got to do the NBA playoffs. Uh, You know, I, I get to work on, um, uh you know the field pass for the national championship game for four years uh you know tessitore gets his shot at monday night football whether it works out or not it doesn't matter he got a swing sean mcdonough is back on you know the number two college game whatever it may be we all at some point if we work hard enough or and again a lot of things have to go our way in terms of uh you know timing rights who's there who's not i only got my opportunities because mike patrick uh finished up you know doing college football so i got a few more chances to do bigger games we all got some swings. We all got a chance at the plate and that was important to me and to all of us. So that's something that, that that's not, I don't know if that's by design that we feel that level of competitiveness. I just think we're all competitive to begin with. So when I, when the opportunity came to not have to worry about that as much for a little while to feel like work that I've put in over a decent amount of time, nine years, you know, a decent amount of time, you know, however many hundreds of broadcasts, maybe a thousand broadcasts. Like when I finally had the chance to, for somebody to say, Hey, we want to put you on this property. It's our biggest property. We're going to put you on good games. We've got this other property that you're super passionate about in Major League Baseball. We're considering putting you on a playoff series. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted to cover the sports like this. I wanted to cover the NBA. I wanted to cover Major League Baseball. I wanted to cover the NFL eventually. And I got to do those things all at ESPN, mostly on radio. And I loved it. And I'm so thankful that I cut my teeth the way I did. Because I got to go into what typically radio is considered to be based on viewership, listenership, you know, exposure. It's a little bit lower stakes. Now, to me, it's high stakes because it's the sport. It's NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA. It was NBA Playoff Series. It was the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals for a few years. It was doing the NFL Game of the Week every single week. It was doing Major League Baseball playoff games. It was... You know, it was was doing Sunday Night Baseball. Like, I got to cut my teeth in a situation where I felt comfortable because I grew up doing radio. So for me, it was a comfortable situation to be a part of. It was the biggest sports, the sports that I grew up on, living in Chicago as a pro sports fan. I wasn't a college sports fan growing up. I watched the Rose Bowl in 95 because after the 95 season because Northwestern was in it. And I watched New Year's Day games because I was home from school and there was sports on. So, of course, I was going to watch it but the pro, pro sports were my domain as a kid being from here so when i got the opportunity to cover those i wanted to focus on those and then when the opportunity came to say hey we were going to put you on tv to do these things that was an impossible thing to say no to and i would have there's very little at that point espn could have done i think to like to really say hey you you we got to keep you because it's, it's, it's hard. you know. There's only so many spots, only so many major spots there. And that's, that's the case everywhere. Just there's all this other inventory that needs to be filled out so we all get opportunities uh, at ESPN. Now I feel like I'm getting the opportunities that I was really hoping for. And I finally have the, have the chance to kind of set up this schedule in a way that I was really, that would really be ideal for me, for me, for my personality where I'm at in my life, in terms of workload and and handling all this, I think it was just the right move.
0: Looking backward from where you are now, and it seems that you have a you know an, an honest and appropriate appreciation of 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 where it is. Um, but also, I think from the outside, people need to know the hard work it takes. And like you said, I mean, the hard work and 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 the breaks um, along the way too. Um, do you ever get nostalgic for the time when you were just figuring it out and you were learning these lessons and you were doing, uh, I don't know what some of the smaller stakes, uh, events that you ever called, but do you ever get nostalgic for those times when you were at a, a terrible radio connection or whatever in a, in a bandbox minor league stadium? And it was, it was the small time, but it was like, you really felt alive. I
1: think, um, we have a tendency, you know, years later, um, <laughs> to look back and think, well, that was all part of the the process, right? That was all part of this foundational building of style, sharpness, um, awareness, like all these things that go into being a, a a broadcaster now at this level. You know, all the things that you need to have kind of established so that you can walk in and feel comfortable doing these games. I I'd like to think that, oh, 10 years ago or 11 years ago when I'm on, you know, a press box roof in Council Bluffs, Iowa, doing an Iowa high school playoff game in November, you know, I'd like to think that, oh, yeah, that was all a part of the building blocks of this. That's bullshit. Like, I didn't – I that's not how I was perceiving it 11 years ago. I was convinced, like, is this is this what it's going to be? Is this how it's going to be every, every week? Because you always have – you know thoughts and dreams and and ideas of how you'd like to have this job go on a day-to-day basis and the but the other part of it too is like I don't know what that entails at that age I didn't know what it was like to be an ESPN or a Fox or or whatever broadcaster a national broadcaster at that point I could never even conceive it so I'm trying to keep that in mind like I don't want to like rewrite my past and say oh I knew it was all part of like I had to do that to to build up to this. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true, but you're not thinking about it like that at 22, 23, 24. Uh, and I'd be, I'd be lying if I thought it was, I was just trying to get through the day. I was trying to get through, like, how do I do this game? How do I learn these, these, these names? How do I, um, you know, how do, how do I get to where I need to get to, you know, the four hour drive from Northwest Iowa to the border of, you know, Omaha and, and Iowa, Like you're, you're, you're not thinking of those things. You're, you're not thinking of like the bigger picture. You're just trying to get through the day. And I was just trying to get through waking up at four in the morning and doing the morning show and then figuring out, you know, the route to get to and what I'm going to eat on the way to the, to the game. And, you know, is the weather going to be okay? Like, you're just trying to figure that stuff out. So I'm nostalgic for it now in the sense of, I'm glad that it was a building block, but I know like, I wasn't thinking of it as that of of, uh, thinking of it as that at the time I was just trying to get through and figure out if this is what I really wanted to do. If I was any good at it, if I had a future in it. So the things I'm most nostalgic for are like meeting Iron Eagle and having him tell me you have a future in this, whatever it is that you're doing, just keep doing it. And things will probably work out because he saw, he, he saw that from a point of wisdom and experience. I imagine, you know, and he's told me that this since like he's, he saw a lot of himself in me when he first met me in this. And I'm thankful for that. Now that he had, he, he passed that you know, knowledge of his experience onto me so that I didn't feel like I was, I had a panic. You know, like, he's not giving me the keys, like, and telling me this is exactly how it's going to go. It was, hey, you're doing fine. Everything you think is weird and shitty and, like, not how you thought this was going to go, this is exactly how it's supposed to go. You're doing fine. So that, that, like, that's the stuff I really get nostalgic for is, like, I, because I want to do that. I want to be that guy now. I want to be the guy who tells the 23-year-old, hey, dude, you're fine. Hey, like... I know this is a weird business. You're good. You're doing fine. You're doing the right things. And that's the type of stuff that I think I get nostalgic for when I look back, you know, to like the very beginnings of it.
0: Yeah. It'd be weird. It'd be weird. if Ian Eagle said that to you, but he didn't say it to his own son. Uh, my, uh, my last question for you is the most important one. Um, you mentioned you've previously mentioned on air uh, a third grade blackhawks presentations with one sarah straczynski i believe it was um what can you tell me about the details of that presentation and then also whatever happened to her and if you uh if she (laughs) has any concept you said her name
1: i don't know know if she has her as i'm trying to remember if she and i have had any contact in the last few years i don't think we have unfortunately uh sarah and i were uh we, we both started in orchestra together in mm-hmm. I think second or third grade. And Sarah was the only other uh like big Blackhawks fan I knew. Like she loved the Chicago Blackhawks. And I at the time, being an, an avid I think this is right around that time, but like an avid NHL PA, NHL ninety three, NHL ninety four, Sega Genesis player, obviously only further instilled my love for Jeremy Roenick and the Blackhawks at, you know, of the of the uh early to uh, mid-90s, the uh, Ronick, Patrick Poulin, Tony Amante, Gary Souter, Chris Chelios, at Belfort, you know, uh, grouping. So uh, Sarah was also a huge hockey fan for, you know, an eight-year-old. And uh, so was I. And our music teacher was Mr. Fair, uh, who also loved the Blackhawks. So once a week during music class, Mr. Fair would let Sarah and I go up to the front of the class and just tell people about the Blackhawks for like 60 seconds. And we got to do like a little report on it. And that was my first, now again, I can look back on it and and make the joke that that was my first foray into sports broadcasting or whatever. But like, that was, uh, that was like my first understanding of like talking in front of people and, you know, like performing, so to speak. And, and that started like my, I must've been an obsession because I ended up being obsessed with just performing in front of people. So I, I played violin for the next, you know, 13 years of my life. I ended up in choir and theater and hosting shows and doing all this stuff. And that was like the first foray into it. So I don't know if Sarah has any concept of how, uh, how impactful I guess she has been at some point in, uh, in, uh, in, in my life. But we went, we, I mean, we went to high school together. We were in an orchestra together. She, she was a really, really good person. And I, I hope everything's well with her right now.
0: It's crazy to think that the most formative moments in our, in, in our lives, the people who are standing next to us or even the people closest to us in our relationships might not have any idea that that moment is happening. Like you yeah. could bring it up to them and you, they would have absolutely no concept of, of what you were even saying. Um, yeah. Did you, uh, and then I'm sorry, I have to ask one important thing. No, go ahead. When you were, playing this uh nhl 93 94 it was against the computer with the offsides off
1: i played with offsides off to start and then once in a while i think you know what i think I'm, i think this is unfair and i i turned the offsides on and then i played with offsides on pretty much for the rest of my life
0: good i'm glad you <laughs> got that out there that's uh yeah
1: it's I'm important listen i don't want to i don't want to give anybody some uh some false concept of uh what type of integrity I, I'm, I'm playing nhl 94 with
0: all right the always integrity packed (laughs) you can catch him on I don't know any broadcast uh, you know every sport on Fox there's there's a 30% chance I appreciate it man (laughs)